And it also allows a company to differentiate between what's it going to cost me to reduce my carbon footprint and what can I buy that offset for? And if it's more economically efficient to buy that offset, then that may be the best value for the globe. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode 125 of the program happening right now, and another fantastic program on deck for you today as we welcome to the program Mr. Tom Lord, Senior Risk Consultant for Norton Rose Fulbright, one of the premier law firms in all of the United States of America, and Tom, who is no stranger to all things energy markets. He's been in this business for over 25 years and is one of the premier minds in all of the energy markets, and talking ESG, we're going to get into some we're going to get into some carbon markets what exactly they are and why they're so important not just here in the united states but globally as well but before we get into that let's hear from our ceo and co-founder mr mike niemer telling you what it is we do here at e-renewable at e-renewable we know going green is important to your business and your esg rating besides offering ppas and vppas through our network of clean energy professionals we can also offer renewable natural gas or let us help you lower your carbon footprint with responsibly sourced gas from a leading global energy provider. Maybe you need green energy credits, whether it's unbundled RECs or RSG certificates. Your path to net zero and decarbonization is one step closer with the renewable. For more assistance, please call us at 1-866-E-Renew1. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Mike Niemer. Don't forget to go to our website, eRenewable.com, and give us a follow on our LinkedIn page, eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast, so you too can be featured as part of our Follower Friday series, where every Friday we take a member from our LinkedIn community, highlight their company in a podcast, and discuss what they're doing in the energy transition. All right, let's get down to today's episode. Mr. Tom Lord, Senior Risk Consultant, Norton Rose Fulbright, talking all things greenwashing and why the definition depends on who you're talking to, why carbon markets are so important to the net zero goals and the burgeoning economy that is coming out of the carbon markets and why that's so important globally. Also, too, we'll get into the challenges of the global carbon market and what that means to investors and folks and what that means to investors and... Tom's going to give you a little glimpse into what he's going to be discussing at the Commodity Trading Week Americas conference going on June 8th and 9th right here in good old Houston, Texas, courtesy of the Commodities People, folks. All right, without further ado, folks, please welcome to the program, Mr. Tom Lord. Tom Lord, I'm a senior risk consultant with Norton Rose Fulbright. We're sort of an interesting beast in that we actually have an internal consulting capability assisting our lawyers in the regulatory and compliance area dealing with regulatory issues, including controls, controls testing. And in this space, working a lot in the ESG and carbon market space, my background comes from trading up through and including running desks on Wall Street for physical natural gas for a number of years and then moving into the consulting space having my own consulting practices or with both two of the big four running their non-financial services, regulatory and compliance functions during the Dodd-Frank world. Uh, my exposure and involvement in the 
environmental products go all the way back into 2005 and 2006 when I was actually doing carbon trading back when we were still doing project level work for coal bed methane, carbon offsets, actually doing work in the late, in the early knees for uh, nature-based solutions associated with QF facilities when we were proposing combined cycle generation under the QF program and doing tree planting as, as an offset for CO2 back in the early 90s. So been involved in this for quite a number of years. Recently have been with working with North Rose, have been, attended both COP25 and COP26 and been highly involved in the Paris Article 6 developments associated with both voluntary and uh, compliance carbon markets. And in that space have been working heavily in the carbon markets associated with verified carbon units out of Vera, other carbon certificates, RSG, RNG, REX, low carbon fuel standard out of California, and the diversity, if you would, of available carbon credits and dealing with this on both the producer side and as, as well on the major corporate buy side for what they're looking for for offsets. And so talking here primarily about the issues associated with fungibility and applicability of uh, offsets to corporate and trader portfolios. Tell us a little bit about then what the carbon offsets, because you know we, we hear about you know is it is, is carbon offsetting considered greenwashing? But at the same time, too, you hear some folks say, "Look, we're you know just deploying mass renewables is not enough to bring down uh, the carbon footprint." So when you talk about the fungibility, just give us kind of a primer on how carbon offsets work, and maybe some of the pros cons, and maybe the biggest misunderstandings when it comes to carbon offsets. Okay, so carbon offsets are designed either in the compliance or the voluntary markets to address especially those portions of a person's carbon footprint that may not be reducible. Um, carbon offsets are contemplated even in the structure of the Paris Accord as a mechanism for getting to net zero targets uh, or low carbon targets for industries that, or for functions, we never will be able to get our, all the carbon uh, associated with those activities away. So that there is universally an acceptance of the need for certain types of carbon removal that can supplement efforts to reduce the actual emission of carbon through production and consumption activities. So we start from a basis that people agree that there, there's going to be some need. The divergence then occurs in a couple ways. One is the aspirational activities or the aspirational desires of a number of individuals or a number of entities that we should first force as much reduction as possible versus other viewpoints where there is a economic benefit, if you would, to providing carbon removal at a lower cost 
then the change is necessary to implement drastic, if you would, carbon reduction. So you get you get divergent viewpoints from that acceptance that there will be some need for carbon offsets. The concept of greenwashing comes in, again, multiple flavors. You can get people saying, if you haven't done everything you can to reduce your carbon footprint, then all we're doing by utilizing carbon offsets is allowing you to continue to uh, emit carbon that you may not have to. Greenwashing can also be looked at as there may be extant carbon offsets that may have been generated in 2015. Certain markets will accept the use of prior year vintage carbon offset to offset your current year emissions, whereas other entities and individuals may say the use of prior year vintages for current year offsets is a form of greenwashing. So when people say greenwashing, it may mean any number of things. And then when we're talking about fungibility, so you've got the issues associated with things that come up with greenwashing, but also some markets may have different requirements associated with the offset that they will consider applicable to their market requirements. So the U.S. has no mandatory carbon market for the entire U.S. So if you're a company that's outside of any compliance market, you may use carbon offsets in a different way than someone who is sitting in Europe with a significant set of constraints around what is an acceptable offset. And then you get you go into a, a different world where a REC, renewable energy credit, may represent a calculated reduction in carbon based on what is the anticipated change in generation versus a verified carbon unit in Vera, which would be a monitored certificate associated with a va validated absorption of carbon from the atmosphere by tree planting or some other basis. So there's a lot of different pieces moving here, both in the requirements associated with where credits can be used and just in what a credit represents. So that's a an attempt to cover a very wide range of issues in a very short time period. Tom, can you explain to the listeners that aren't professionals in this space yet exactly what greenwashing means and how vintage works in the market because something has not been retired yet? Can you kind of give the basics behind both of those? Okay, so again, greenwashing, the problem is that coming up with a single definition of greenwashing is almost impossible because as I sort of talked about before, greenwashing means different things to different people. And I give you an example is when we talk about hydrogen, we're now up to, I think, 15 different colors of hydrogen, depending on where it comes from and how it's produced. And you may say, I've reduced my footprint by using this type of hydrogen and a number of people will say that's a reduction and a number of people will say no these things are that things so greenwashing means to the person that is stating it i think is the best way to sort of come up with a holistic view greenwashing 
to from the point of view of the person expressing that complaint is the use of some mechanism, either a definition or a credit or whatever, to attempt to communicate a greater commitment or a greater achievement of environmental impact, carbon reduction, whatever you're attempting to communicate, than is actually been achieved by that entity. And so greenwashing can be used in a very technical way and say, this you, you said you've done this, but these factors don't. Or greenwashing can be used in a much more philosophical way, if you would, of I just don't think you're achieving what you want. And so in a lot of cases, when someone's accusing you of greenwashing, the first thing you need to do is get to their definite definition and get to what they are accusing you of as opposed to what you are doing. And so you can have someone accusing you of greenwashing and have it mean very, very different things. Um, so what you're the, saying is greenwashing is in the eye of the beholder. Very much. It can be. Yes. Fair enough. Let me, okay. And, and I know you talked a little bit about carbon credits. Um, where does 45Q factor in all this? Because I, I, you know, just, and I know as part of the Build Back Better plan, the one of the plans was to increase the 45Q tax credit. Um, and I know it's been around since 2008. If they, if if some form or fashion of that bill does get passed, or if they do go ahead and increase that tax credit, a the importance of forty five Q two carbon reduction, uh, you know, efforts. And I, I mean, again, I'm just going to be yeah. you know generic here, and I'm guessing that obviously by increasing that, then you start to see the you know maybe the infrastructure, um, which I know you know just from talking to folks is is one of the bigger issues with carbon reduction uh, and or carbon capture with all you know. With, where we're trying to get to is that we just don't have the infrastructure, but obviously 45Q kind of hanging in the balance could play a huge factor in, 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 in incorporating and increasing those efforts. Okay. And so, Fred, you're asking about what I would call a transactional and infrastructure credit, which is quite bluntly, there is a whole nother group at Norton Rose Fulbright that helps people in that. I'm in the market of how do I trade carbon credits? I'm working with people who are, if you want to think of it in this way, the difference between commodity physical, if I'm going to go trade natural gas physical in the pipeline versus trading futures. And in a lot of ways, the carbon credit market looks like the futures market associated with what the 45Q would be is, how am I going to get a physical market? that then generates or enables, if you would, that derivatives market. And they really are very different types of markets. And so where I'm helping clients is not in the 45Q world, but in the, I'm going to go buy, I'll give you an example, and this is not to represent that I'm working with the clients in this, I can't talk about what, what clients do and not, is if I am a airline, in the US, I am obligated under an international treaty called Corsia to buy carbon credits to offset my carbon. And we're helping, we're helping those type of entities build risk and controls around that 
derivatives and futures style market. And so when we're talking about vintages, you'd be talking the equivalent of, not the equivalent, but an analog to monthly futures contracts. This is the part of the energy transition where thankfully we have extremely smart people like Tom Lord on who can help us explain like this is kind of, I don't want to say it's the back end of the energy transition, but this plays just, you know, look, we know about wind, we know about solar, we know about battery storage, we know about, as you alluded to, the seven different types of hydrogen that's out there. But Explain to us a little bit about the importance of why this carbon credit and why a carbon credit market looms so large to the net zero goals that we have as not just a country, but as a world. Yeah, so there are a couple things. One is the carbon credit market then creates a capability to monetize the, if you would, the impact reduction associated with any type of activity. So if and a good one is RSG, right? I am going to go out and capture the fugitive carbon, the cap, capture the fugitive methane coming off of oil production or coming off of gas production or lost and unaccounted for natural gas. And I may not have a carbon net zero need that I need that for, that gives me a chance to take that and sell that to someone else who has a need to offset a carbon footprint and monetize that activity. And they may be paying me more for that than the value it has to me. And so if you think of it, it's like, it's like someone who is creating, I'm building something and I can either use it myself or I can sell it to someone else. Previously, I had no way to monetize the carbon sequestration I did. I mean, the people who love carbon credits is all of a sudden I'm a forestry company. Yes, I'm making, I'm making lumber, but I can now sell a whole bunch of value associated with just growing those trees that I couldn't capture before. And so it's creating those type of markets associated with it. And, and it also allows a company to differentiate between what's it going to cost me to reduce my carbon footprint and what can I buy that offset for? And if it's more economically efficient to buy that offset, then that may be the best value for the globe. If it's going to take me 10 years and cost me multiple billions of dollars and reduce my employees because I have to invest this, it may make more sense for me to go buy a carbon credit. And therefore, we have better allocation of capital around the world. That is the rationale behind creating global carbon markets, is someone may be able to create carbon offsets in a way that has multiple benefits. I work with funds right now that are going back and reforesting mining facilities around developing countries. And they're creating additional water resources. They create jobs for people in that world. In some of these places, they're, they're planting food crops, so they now have food for people. A number of them will invest in education for the children in that area. And in addition, and, and creating a better environment because they're reclaiming mine lands, and they're getting to finance part of this by selling the carbon credit off of it. There are 
places in the world where this is becoming a major economic driver for advancement of people in return for which they are creating an opportunity for people to offset their carbon in places where it may be uh, much more expensive or may change the way things work much more. Uh, so there's a mutual benefit structure associated with carbon credits. Tom, you mentioned RSG. There was an article in Gas Daily uh, yesterday or the day before that had two or three pages written up about how it's becoming uh, more popular and more uh, accepted in the marketplace. Uh, what are you guys seeing in that, and what have you heard out of Washington? Well, I think one of the things that really helped RSG was the proposed, well, at one point in time, a new rule, and then a proposed rule by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. They put a pair of policy statements out earlier this year, uh, one associated with building new transportation infrastructure associated with what are called 7C certificates, and then the second associated with export import light uh, building infrastructure for export or import of LNG, in that they were going to require people to at least explain potential mitigation of carbon impacts associated with those constructions. And one of the uh, mitigating mechanisms that they specifically referenced was RSG. And so it was one of the first times we have seen RSG certificates, especially in the US, uh, indicated as a potential offset for regulatory requirements. The issues with RSG fungibility globally would be in compliance markets, the European ETS, New Zealand has a compliance market, other uh, China has adopted a compliance market, is some of those have specified what type of certifications are acceptable. And then not in all cases have has RS has an RSG certificate per se been accepted. The nice part about RSG is under the mechanisms that people use for carbon offsets, we talk about what is called GHG equivalent or GHGE, which is greenhouse gas equivalent. And it takes seven different atmospheric emissions, carbon being one of them, and makes them equivalent in their greenhouse gas impact to that of carbon dioxide. And RSG has a benefit in that methane has a 25 to 1 ratio to carbon dioxide, so that for every metric ton of methane you capture, you get the equivalent in offsets of 25 tons of carbon dioxide. And so they can be a useful tool for people for mitigation purposes because they have a much greater short-term greenhouse gas equivalent impact. You mentioned all the good that's coming because of this new carbon economy that we're in. Any kind of potential pitfalls and or concerns that you know, you're know you seeing? And then two, kind of what is your outlook for the rest of 2022 as it pertains to the carbon market and kind of anything that you're working on or keeping your eyeballs on? Okay, so, and I'm going to reflect this from the point of view of buy side customers that I work with. And so where are what is the buy side saying they need either credit 
or contractual protection from. But when you're selling things or when they're going to buy something, what are they saying they need? One is there is a great focus on monitoring of the carbon sequestration. So if I go out and plant trees, the registry will validate whether or not trees have grown, et cetera, so forth. For example, I'm now seeing buy side people say, in certain countries, I hear that you've planted the trees. I hear that you're monitoring it. Do you actually own the land that you've planted the trees on? Or do I actually have someone who owns that land who's going to come back and say, that person planted trees on a property they don't own, and I want all my carbon credits back. Um, we're seeing the, the other place that just happened recently is in the voluntary markets. Um, Indonesia just recently said they will not certify any of their 2021 carbon credits in the voluntary market. They are performing a review of their internal market mechanisms. And until they have done their internal decisions, they will not certify any of these. Well, if I've invested with you four years ago in a, in a project in Indonesia, Indonesia is basically saying, I can have all of your carbon credits, but you can only use them internal to your carbon offsets in Indonesia. That's not a fraud issue, but it's a fungibility issue. And so those are the types of questions we're seeing people start to worry about is, have I bought something that either I can't use or that someone else actually owns that you didn't have the right to sell, me to, sell to me? And those are the type of questions that are being asked. And in the, some, of the more, some of the more liquid markets, the transparency of what's underneath may not be available to me. And so some of these buy side people are looking more to the invest investment market where they can touch and go all the way down to, as opposed to potential risk of someone hands me a, a certificate and I'll all of a sudden find there were issues associated with it underneath. Um, and that actually leads very well into what, you, what we're going to be talking about in Carbon Week, which is it's a presentation on those issues that clients have been bringing to us associated with lack of transferability, uh, fungibility, what happens if I'm, you know, from the buy side, can I use this the way I want it, from the trading shops. And we've helped numerous companies who are wanting to set up carbon shops. How do I make sure that what I just bought in the open market, I'm going to be able to use in Europe? or in New Zealand, or in the US, or in some place? Am I buying a product that matches up with the market I intend to sell it to? And how do I make sure that I don't get, I don't end up buying something that I can't use in a higher price market and has to go to a lower price market? Especially for those people who are looking to arbitrage certificates between regulatory regimes.
Thank you so much for that, Mr. Tom Lord. You can catch all of the Green Insider episodes over at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and on our website, eRenewable.com. And then, of course, stay tuned on Friday as we continue with the Commodity Trading Week America's theme when we welcome to the program from Commodities People, putting on their first conference here in the United States, Mr. Ben Hillary and friend of the program, Mr. Howard Walper. It's a great conversation. You do not want to miss that. As always, shout out to the entire eRenewable team and Mike, Roger, Al, all the guests, all the audience, without doing what you do, we couldn't do what we do. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier.